Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 461, air date August 5th, 2019. It's showtime. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. You know, the right to bear arms is because that's the last form of defense against tyranny. Washington is fundamentally corrupt. There are more words in the IRS code than there are in the Bible. Made in America, heard round the world. You're listening to Blunt Force Truth. I'm Chuck Woolery, along with my co-host, Mark Young. Well, we have a guest with us today who is not only not a fake Indian, <laughs> but he is also not a fake scientist. He is actually a real scientist. Yeah. And with us is our friend Shiva Iadora, folks. I'm going to give you a little background. Shiva has four degrees from MIT. That's a lot of that's a lot of MIT degrees, isn't Just it? Just to make fun of them. He is a world-renowned scientist, a Fulbright scholar, a Lemison MIT Award finalist, uh, and he is also the inventor of email. He's way too smart to be a Republican. <laughs> and Shiva is actually single-handedly the reason, Chuck why you keep getting emails from the Nigerian prince's <laughs> wife offering to deposit $78 million into yes. your bank account. Which was overlooked by my family somehow. Yes. So, Shiva, thank you for that. But anyways, Shiva, it's great to have you back, man. Love having you here. And Shiva, you are going to run for Senate against this lunatic, uh, Ed Markley, correct? So, Mark and Chuck, first of all, it's great to be here. You guys are great. Um, Thank you. Uh, Mark, his uh, name is Ed Markey with a K. So, oh, Markey. Sorry. Yeah, okay, Ed we, Markey. It's a good name because we call him Ed Malarkey. Okay, which is <laughs> So, if, you know, we, we – uh, so it's really about truth versus malarkey. And it's a very interesting uh, – uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting election in 2020 because what you guys are talking about is that the foundation of it is truth versus lies. And the fact that his name is, I mean, in our campaigns, we call him Ed Malarkey. And I think it's going to stick just like the fake Indian, real Indian did. Now, will you be able to debate to debate him? Because the left doesn't like to debate the right. Well, They'll yeah, debate so, each I other, mean, but they won't debate the right. Yeah, well, well, the important thing is, Chuck, I'm running as a Republican. Last time, as you know, right. uh, you know, we'll talk about the Massachusetts GOP. In many ways, they're essentially a wing of the Democratic Party. They do not support the president, the governor, who's a quote unquote uh, Republican. Who we were told on our last show that the government was, or the, uh, the governor was highly thought of. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, the governor, well, he's done a PR campaign to position himself as the most, you know, popular governor, while Massachusetts has the worst public infrastructure, 47th out of the 50 states' worst infrastructure, uh, the worst in corruption, yet, as you said, he sounds like he's pretty good at his job. That's what, that's what I'm saying. He's a Democrat. So far, he's right up there with Washington. He's a Democrat in Republican clothing. Mm -hmm. And the guy that is his mentor is a guy called Bill Weld, who's yeah, I remember Bill Weld. Republican sure. running against Trump, right? right. The president. Yeah, he's so, got a big, he's got a great chance, I'm sure. Yeah, he's, he's got no chance. But the, no I think chance. the important thing to recognize is if you look at, you and I were talking about earlier, Chuck, if you look at, if you look at sort of the serpent of the deep state, my theory is Washington, I mean, Massachusetts represents sort of the brain trust of that serpent. 
And I used to think it's the Democrats who ran that, but it's the Massachusetts GOP, which in some ways is the head of that because, again, the governor of Massachusetts, Republican, and the former governor both hate Trump. Mm -hmm. And these are sort of the old, you know, uh, British who never left. And that's what's fascinating about this. Because why, why is it that there's so much against the president? Because these guys represent control. And when Donald Trump won, he perturbed and disturbed their control. And I would say that Massachusetts is center of that deep state control, you know, reflected by, you know, Harvard, MIT, all these deep right. state institutions. And, and, and it's, it's fascinating. It's the Massachusetts GOP. So when I ran last year, they should have embraced me. You know, I'm a, I'm a self-made guy, uh, you know, many ways reflect the values of the Republican Party. Instead, uh, I had to run as an independent. We got five times more votes as an independent than any independent ever ran. And we could have defeated Elizabeth Warren had they supported us. So this time we're going to run as a Republican, Chuck, primarily because uh, I don't need to, I, they can't manipulate the votes with the 15% delegate rule. So I just have to get on the ballot and we need to get about 200,000 votes to win the Republican nomination. We have a very, very good shot at that if we can get our message out broadly to the Trumpers in Massachusetts. Who do you have to depend on to get your message out? Oh, uh, well, it's not going to be mainstream media. You know, well, so, Boston Globe probably won't be part of that no, message. No, we? I think it's guys like you. It's guys like the people who really care about this country and want to see real Republicans get elected. The good news is, you know, we got 100,000 votes. We spent less than 70 cents a vote. Warren spent about $30 a vote. And that was because those 100,000 people who voted for us, Chuck and Mark, were in many ways real patriots. They got over the fake Indian, real Indian thing. They got over, you know, the mass GOP. So I think we got an extremely good shot. And uh, I'm looking forward to it because this guy, Ed Markey or Malarkey, really is the doppelganger, you know, the twin of AOC. If you see the pictures when she launched the Green New Deal, the Skeletor guy who Markey standing next to her is her, uh, is her center. Uh, you know, compadre. Yeah, he's, so, a, he's full in on this new green deal, completely. isn't he? Every email he sends out, Mark, is the earth is going to blow up, the earth is going to die, you know, uh, Trump is going to destroy the earth, we have to, you know, get the green new deal in. Now, and wait I, a minute, I thought we all died from net neutrality. Right, well, he was a bit from Obamacare. Yeah, yeah Mark, he was a guy who, who was big behind the net neutrality, never really addressing the issue of Google or Facebook. They got a you know, they, they didn't get any shakedown. So you, you're looking at someone who's been in, this, in, in Congress since 1876. Sorry, <laughs> 1876, right? I mean, these guys have been in there for 40 years. And I think that a guy like him should actually support someone like me because he says he believes in inclusivity, diversity, all these kinds of things. But one of the fundamental things, um, um, Chuck and Mark, we, we're going to bring out in this campaign is that fundamentally... It's science versus malarkey or truth versus malarkey. And Massachusetts is supposed to be the center of innovation and science. So how do you get real science occurring? Well, you get real science occurring by having freedom. You know, the founding fathers wanted open discourse, free speech and debate. And it wasn't just for those reasons alone, but because in that environment, we could actually have debate and let the scientific method rule, which it means that you enter into uncertainty, you run experiments, you get back data, and you're constantly questioning yourself. It was always about skepticism, questioning, free speech. And that is the real, you know, fertile ground from where you get real science. And from real science, you find truth. And from truth, you can identify real problems, 
where you solve real, where you, find, you innovate real solutions for the health of our body or planet, et cetera. Instead, what they're trying to do, Chuck and Mark, is impose this new thing called scientific consensus. In fact, Schumer and Malarkey are sponsors of a bill, which is Bill 791, which says that there will be no more discourse on climate change. Of course not. No more discourse. No. And, and this is what, and help me out, you're a scientist. How does science ever say that something is settled science? How, explain to me how science can ever have a settled science on something. It isn't. I mean, Einstein said something interesting. You know, his theory of relativity, which uh, tries to t t explain Newton's law of gravitation, he said, you know, it doesn't matter how many people think my stuff works, but one experiment could destroy my theory. And that's what a real scientist is about. You're constantly looking for people to poke holes at you because that's how a law or theory gets protected. What Schumer and Malarkey are trying to do, the bill that they have says that because there's quote unquote scientific consensus on climate change, therefore no government agency, no government discourse on it. Now, what's cool about science is 99 people could believe the, earth, uh, the sun goes around the earth, and one guy could have all the data showing that's not true. The earth goes around the sun. And, and science is not based on some democratic vote. It's based on the actual facts. That's what's so beautiful about science, right? It doesn't matter what your opinion is or what you believe. It's actually based on ground reality. How and many scientific breakthroughs have ever happened because of consensus? Never. And in fact, you know, Einstein never... Published one paper on what's called peer review. Ah, he was a loser, anyways. What did he know? He was a big loser. <laughs> and, and the last paper he sent in, Mark uh, and Chuck, was a paper that he sent in. And this is when they started creating this thing called peer review, right? Which is consensus among your peers. And he said, "What?" He goes, "He goes, give me my paper back." He goes, "How can any new science be based on peer review? Because ultimately, a scientist is a revolutionary because you're always pushing the envelope." So you can never be subject to peer review. The, the theory about science should be whatever you want to propose, it should be published and let, the, let people debate it out, whether they think it's ridiculous or not. So that, the foundation of science was you have this thing called the scientific method. You see something in nature, apple falls from a tree. And based on seeing that apple, you come up with your model. Well, I think it's the mass of the apple times the mass of the earth over some distance squared cause that, and that was Newton's law, right? And then he had to test it. Some other guy can come up with a theory of why that's occurring. That was Einstein. And the issue is you're supposed to have open discourse, poke holes, poke holes, poke holes, and over enough time of poking holes, you say, you know what, this thing stands up to rigor. When you go to climate change, and by the way, climate, what's great about this climate change issue, it exposes the way that the Democrats and the establishment wants to treat all truth. It's sort of the fake, science, fake news behind fake news, which is fake science. So the way they want to do it is the following way. Okay, our data is not matching up. I'll give you an example. When I started looking at the climate change stuff, I went into it very open-minded. And, um, and ultimately, the climate change phenomenon, I think everyone will agree to the following. Climate does change. No one will disagree. CO2 is a greenhouse gas. No one will disagree. Greenhouse gases do increase temperature. No one will disagree. And humans put out greenhouse gases. That's not the issue, though. It's yes, 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 yes to all those four things. The fundamental issue is how much, right? How much does CO2 affect temperature? Well, in order to do that, you have to solve a very complex equation. 
um, and a set of equations, Mark and Chuck, and that's called Navier-Stokes equation in fluids. To keep it simple, when you take a fluid mechanics class, it's known that the Navier-Stokes equation is unsolvable for turbulent fluids. Mm -hmm. Okay, what is a turbulent fluid? Like a babbling brook, you know, boiling water. You can solve Navier-Stokes for water coming out of a spout. Now, what the problem with this whole climate stuff is you have two turbulent fluids, the atmosphere, a very complex turbulent fluid, and the ocean. So we can't even solve Navier-Stokes for one turbulent fluid, and these guys are claiming they've solved it for two. It's an impossible problem. In fact, you can win a million dollars. It's called a millennial prize if you solve it for even one turbulent fluid. So the entire, anyone who knows fluid mechanics, anyone who knows radiative physics, which are, by the way, the real scientists, there is no science called climate science. It's, it's been a fabricated not. science. It's just been created. Dick Lindzen, who was a head of the meteorology group at MIT, he wrote to Trump saying, get out of the climate, Paris Climate Accords. When he did that, about 100 professors at MIT attacked him. And I said, Dick, why do they do this? He goes, Shiva, it's money. MIT gets around exactly. 20 to $40 million yeah. for climate change impact grants. It has nothing to do with science. There's no field called climate science. It has to do with ideology and government. It has nothing to exactly. do. It has to do with money and, and how you spend it and whether you're funded. It, that's really what it is. And I'm not sure people understand it or can get their head around it with everything else that's swirling around us all the time. It's controlling well, language, Chuck. Think about, how, think about uh, assault weapons. There's no such thing as an assault weapon. I know. I know. But they create yeah, they, these they terms. Create, they create these so, so, so when I look at it, you know, we used to, up until the 70s, as uh, Dick Lindzen was explaining to me, we, there was a point where we did have basic research and basic science. But after the 70s, after the 19, you know, after Vietnam War, an amendment called the Mansfield Amendment was passed, which basically said that uh, there was a point in American sort of science history, the military had a huge budget, huge, massive budget, and a little piece of that was funded for basic research. And so you had some guy doing really cool research, but it was such a small piece of a large budget, no one, that research was allowed, allowed to t take place and you got good science. But after Vietnam, the Mansfield Amendment said that you can no longer fund basic research from the military unless it was for weaponry. So what ended up happening was that little piece of a very large budget moved over to the National Science Foundation, which was a big piece of a small budget, right? The NSF, it's a completely political organization. So science became politicized when that took place in a very ironic way. So what you have now is to explain to people in, in very simple terms, uh, Chuck, if you or Mark, uh, you know, comes out with your PhD, you have seven years to go be a professor, what's called a tenured professor, which means you never have to work again after those seven years if you get tenure. Well, during those seven years, both you guys are competing to write as many papers as you can and it's not only how many papers you write, but how many other people cite your research. So, so Chuck, let's, let's say both you guys are competing to become the best, biggest uh, physicist in a field, right? Let's say fission or something. Well, Mark, you could publish a lot of papers. Chuck, you could publish a lot of papers. But let's say Mark's papers is the one that are cited by other people in the field, even though you may have done great work. Guess who's going to get tenure? Mark. But Mark may have ah, spent, take that, Chuck. Right. But Mark may have spent his seven years sucking up, right? Kissing ass to the people in the field, you know, partying with them. It was them, a tough seven years, I've got to admit. But Right. <laughs> you know what? I, if you ever get on a debate stage with uh, whatever his name is. Malarkey. 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 You should ask him to explain climate change to you. You just say, you know, I know you're for climate change, so 
Can you explain it? How does it work? Yeah, he can't explain it. I know, but it'd be a great question for him just to watch him fumble around with it. Yeah, because ultimately the entire climate... Because you can explain it. I can explain it very precise, and I can explain it because it's taken me about... It took me a lot of time to look at the math, look at the equation, but I can explain it now in less than a minute to anyone, you know, how it actually works. That's a, that's a great got, little debate. One, I can explain it to you guys if you're interested, mm-hmm. but um, it, it's very simple. Uh, do you want me to explain it? Sure. So, so this is the whole uh, fundamental uh, issue. The sun is about 6,000 degrees and the sun puts out what's called 340 watts per meter of energy, Okay. Mm-hmm. that comes to the earth. Well, in order for the earth to maintain equilibrium, that 340 has got to get sent back, right? So you have net zero energy. It's called, so 140 of that watts per meter gets bounced off the atmosphere. So how much do you have coming into the earth? 200, right? 340 minus 140. That 200, Chuck and Mark, the way that gets released is through a process called convection, no different than when you boil a pot of water, you know, the vapor that releases, that convection occurs between these two interacting fluids, the atmosphere and the ocean, all right? And that's how the Earth maintains homeostasis, and and that can only be done if the Earth's average temperature, which is a heating plate of the Earth's surface, is 15 degrees Kelvin, all right? And no one disagrees with what I just said. Over to you, McCarkle, whatever his name is. Um, (laughs) Take your shot at it. (laughs) So so, so that's the basics. Now, what the climate change or the quote-unquote climate change guy says, they say if you double CO2, the levels of CO2, that will increase the amount of energy that's trapped in the atmosphere by 3.7 watts, which will translate to about a three-degree rise in temperature, okay? Mm-hmm. That model that they came up with that is based on doing this math of two turbulent fluids, which is unsolvable. Right, so which they do not have. Which they don't have. Yeah, it's an indeterminate. So I'll give you an example. At the last IPCC meeting, they had 40 models which predict how much ice will melt on the Arctic, right? One model says nothing will melt. Another model says 100%. And there's flavors in between 20, 30, 40. That's not science. That would be like Newton saying an apple drops from the tree. <laughs> one of the say it gets suspended at 10 feet. Another one says it gets, you know what I'm saying? That's called indeterminate. Right. The bottom line is it's completely bullshit. It's totally fake science. And yet what's happened is it's been wrapped around by a small, every, by the way, the last IPCC report of 2018, the 280 scientists, if you actually go read the report, which I've done, they say this is all BS, nothing's matching up. Right when the broader group of scientists attack it, they have a smaller backroom meeting, around 20 of them, and they say, and then they reframe it for the press. So same thing in, in, in the 90s, when the Rio conference took place, a bunch of scientists said this is not matching up. And that's when, if you realize, Al Gore got scared, and that, that's when he put out the movie. So every time the, the actual scientists look at it, the smaller group gets scared, and they do PR. So this whole thing is fake. Now, the real issue is we need to lower pollution. So, so if you go through my thesis, let's apply truth. Let's find the real, the real problem is we've got to lower pollution. Well, the Paris Accords which everyone hyped up on all these people, you know, hanging out in, in, a, in, in Paris, whatever, having a great time. They essentially promoted the Paris Accords. Well, the Paris Accords, if you read it, allows China to double from 11, they're allowed to Always. pollute another 11 billion ton, metric tons of carbon, 11 billion. 
and India is allowed to double its metric tons. In fact, the U.S. was going down. So what is China putting out? Well, sulfur, lead, these are pollutants. The number one cause of death in the world is, is you know, air pollution. So these guys do not want, and by the way, Monsanto loves climate change. Go to their website. Why? Because they're the ones who are dumping all these pesticides, which affect the oceans. They're the ones who are hurting the actual environment. AOC, in my view, is a front for Monsanto. Monsanto, go to their website. They love the climate change doctrine because they get to pollute us more. They get to give us more pesticides, and none of that, all of that goes unchecked. So Why my, is she not campaigning against glyphosate? Exactly. If she why, cared about, why if she, she cared about people. Why is she promoting her number? I mean, you, you, it gets very fascinating when you actually, if you want to get down to the, she, her senior advisor was the major uh, cannabis lobbyist who was funded, and that lobbying group was funded by Soros. One gram of cannabis, which is now grown in these hermetically sealed greenhouses, requires two kilowatt hours of energy, okay? One gram of aluminum requires 0.02, 100 times more. So if you looked at how much cannabis is now growing in Washington state, you're going to need an entire Grand Coulee Dam. And no solar, no wind is going to do it. So one of the memes I put out was someone with a new Green Deal smoking you know, a spliff and behind them a bunch of coal-fired plants. So these people are creating a false narrative. And the, and the foundation of this is to tax the shit out of the average American. The average American worker. It's to grab more taxes out of them. So workers' wages are dropping or flat. Meanwhile, the academics' wages go up. Elizabeth Warren, all these people in Massachusetts, they promote a fake science, and the goal is to extract another pound of flesh from the American worker. That's what this is about. I mean, you just need to look at two curves. The American wages have stayed flat or down, and the, and the wages of the academics and administrators in major private universities has gone up. And these guys manufacture fake science, which then the stupid press just cuts and pastes, and then it becomes, you know, fossilized on Wikipedia. You know what's overlooked, what's overlooked by the American people and probably the press, anybody who wants to release it, and my friend Mark has one of these, are electric cars. Electric cars would not exist if it were not for fossil fuels, period. Yeah, where, where are you plugging them in? For fact, I mean, just period. Right. Well, think of a couple of things that Shiva just talked about here, Chuck. First off, he's talking about... You have a hundred different climate science reports that will go anywhere from zero ice melt to a hundred percent. Models. Yeah. Right. Models and every flavor yeah. in between. But we have a we have a Congress that is saying that's settled science. Oh, we, I know. We, we have models from zero to a hundred. How do you call that a settled science when you well, have you don't even call have everybody consensus. who doesn't believe in its science deniers, which I find fascinating. Well, think about it. They're claiming consensus and they don't even have a consensus. It's there's no consensus here. A so science is based on reproducible predictions. If you take a if I drop an apple from here to the earth, right? It's the equation says the force between that is the gravitational constant times m1 times m2 over r squared. It doesn't matter. It's perfect. That is an actual model that works. Right. And it's they always going to fall at the same speed. Exactly. They don't have a model. It's indeterminate. You would say that's indeterminate. So what you, what you fundamentally have going on in, in the – and by the way, there's a lot of hope, too. I'll explain why. But Shiva, let me, let me yeah. interrupt you for a second. You just you made up a great point. You just said it's indeterminate. This is a group of people who say that gender is indeterminate. Yeah. 
So when we're talking about science, these are people who say that there's what, 57 different genders? 78. Yeah. 78. And, we have 40, and we have 40 different models for how much ice will melt. So it's indeterminate. That's what the truth is. Do you think the average American get their head around this? I think, well, here's the good news, Chuck. The average American does. Let me tell you why. The 50% who don't believe in climate change get in. Who are they? They're real scientists or common sense people. And I, I figured out why this is true. What's the, 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 the dichotomy is the following. You have the academics who I've just told you in the last 30 years, they're all prostitutes, okay? I, I, and I mean that in a very, very, um, not just- Literal a way. They basically, uh, after the 70s, they got, science was supposed to be a place where you went into an institution, you were supposed to be a, a whistleblower and a rabble rouser, right? You were supposed to push the envelope of innovation. Now what they have is a bunch of lemmings because that's how you get funding. That's how you get your tenure. So the academics are sucking up to get government funding. The students whose parents are spending $200,000, $300,000 sending their kids to these institutions are the vulnerable elites. So they have a $200,000 loan. So in class, they're not questioning their professor, Chuck. They're sucking up to their professors who's right. sucking up the government grants mm -hmm. because they want to get A's and B's. If you talk to some very, you know, when I was teaching at MIT or other people, the guy who gets a B these days, he really doesn't know what he's doing. The guy who gets an A may know it. The grades are inflated because these institutions are taking a lot of money and they want to make sure their students get placed. So the whole thing is a complete racket. So you have vulnerable. It's a sham. Elites. It's a complete sham. So you have these vulnerable elites getting out there who think they know better. And those are the people that are the army of the academics or the army of the uh, of, of the establishment. Counter and with the to compliant that, media. Exactly. But counter to that, the good news is the average guy who works for a living, the nurse, the plumber, the electrician, the engineer, we have to deal with physical and natural laws. You know, if you're an electrician, you, you, you know. You, you have to deal with reality is what yeah, you're yeah. saying. If you, if you connect the wrong thing, you're going to blow yourself up. Right. Those people are not buying the climate change doctrine because it doesn't add up. So that's the good news. Those are the people who voted for Donald Trump. So what I'm trying to say is the vulnerable elites, the educated idiots, are the army of these people in a very, very profound way because the academics are not the smartest guys anymore. They're basically, um, you know, sellouts. John Kennedy in 1960 gave a beautiful speech at the National Academy of Sciences, and he said this. He goes, you know, we have a problem with democracy. He goes, the problem is the problems of the world have become so sophisticated, we rely on you, you know, referring to the scientists, to help us figure things out. But the assumption is that you are disinterested and objective and are public servants. But that's no longer true, Chuck. These mm -hmm. people have become part of the triangle of politicians, celebrities, and academia. They've been sucked and they into the ideology, that's all. Exactly. So it's the disgraceful. Yeah, so, so that's... So that's why, you know, uh, this book, Climate of Science, is coming out. And I call the title The Climate of Science. And, I, and the subtitle is worse, much worse than you think. That's why I think Massachusetts is a, a, a great place. Uh, and this 2020 election is going to be awesome because you have someone like me who, you know, came from nothing, worked his butt off, started seven companies, actually understands science and physics and math and engineering, and here in Massachusetts, Ed Markey, you just, Ed Malarkey, he's got no degrees in science. Elizabeth Warren he's has- He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. And he's been there for a long lawyer. time. 
Right. Yeah, this is what we need is another lawyer. No, what we need is we need to get rid of lawyers and we need yeah. to put in scientists. Real Engineers, ones. plumbers, electricians, people who actually have to deal with reality every day. Nurses. That's what the founding fathers wanted. So I think the so when you look at the climate change piece, I think the great thing about that is that it is the tip of the iceberg, which has come way out about how academia has com completely sold out science. And now if you take that same approach to immigration, to gun violence. So, you know, in the book, I talk about each one of these issues. So you have the fake science and the real science. Take gun violence, for example. There's one, uh, 40,000 people die of gun violence in the United States. Sepsis, which is a disease that you get from infection, 40,000 people die of sepsis in the United States. Guess how much research we fund in sepsis? About $100 million and about 100,000 papers are written. Guess how much research we fund in gun violence? No, we don't even fund the research. The CDC is Correct. not allowed to fund research according to the Dickey Amendment. So therefore, what happens is there's only 400 papers written on gun violence. One paper written by a woman who did a multi-system study, she said, look, gun violence is not just one issue, it's five issues. Not enough family, psychotropic drugs, bullying, surveillance. And one of the issues she said was access to weapons. But she said her conclusion was if you remove even one of those items, you can eliminate gun rampages. But they choose to just say, let's take away the guns when you can increase family, you know, bonds, etc. So what's happening is the Harvard School of Public Health, you know, will promote the narrative, you got to eliminate guns. So no. these guys are essentially paid academics who write whatever is done so they can get tenure, and remember what tenure is. You get salary for the rest of your life, 200, 300, 400,000. You can't get fired. Yeah, you can't get fired. And you get the best health care. So right. Elizabeth Warren is collecting $400,000, what she was. She gets amazing health care that the average American doesn't. And here she's preaching about diversity, talking about reparations, all this nonsense. You know, I've always said everybody who wants these gun laws should just move to the south side of Chicago. They got all they want. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And by <laughs> the way, it, 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 you can you can remove just... Uh, train teachers how to look, you know, observe and care for their kids better. You, and that's what that research showed. But that research will never see the light of day. Mm -hmm. So what you really have is a, is a complete control of science. And I would argue, everyone talks about the 1%. I would say it's five university presidents control science in the, in the entire world for that matter. I'm going to you know, take something that you have going for you that your opponent doesn't have going for you that's very simple. And I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this, but nobody really articulates this. The left is incapable, as your opponent is incapable, of solving a problem. They cannot solve a problem. You can. Well, well created the, email. Yeah, I, mean, I, I invented solve I mean, a problem. Look, Conservatives email, email can solve was, problems. E email was about. It wasn't solving. the military exchanging. It was about secretaries in the 1970s who were typing away all day long, you know, if they had 10 CCs, I took that problem, converted to the electronic version, called it email, et cetera. And the issue with that is when that story came out, who attacked me, uh, Mark? And it was the white liberals, okay, right. in Massachusetts and the elite historians, because that the truth about that says that anyone, you know, can solve problems and bring solutions anywhere in this country. And that's what this the country was about. But we have consolidated academic power to a few institutions. And I would say that's the real issue. A few liberal institutions who control science right now. So 
you know, we one can't, guy. We can't have some poor kid from India coming in and showing up all these geniuses at MIT. <laughs> or, 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 or a poor kid in Franklin, Idaho, who created <laughs> Philo Farnsworth, who created TV, or, or the poor Michigan mechanic who created the wind wiper thing. And, you know, that was actually stolen by MIT professors who built the control system series. So the narrative always is that you go to these institutions, you get ordained, right? And mm -hmm. then you are an innovator, et cetera. And that's what Donald Trump's election was really about. He was busting that up. That's why the quote unquote, the blue bloods, it's interesting, blue bloods uh, in Massachusetts, be it Republican or Democrat, hate him so much. I can because, understand it. Yeah, because the center of that power, I would argue, is Massachusetts. Mark. I agree with you. Chuck, we're going to take a quick break here and uh, hear from our friends over at Blue Emu, and we're going to be right back. Okay. So I've got a question for you here then. Yeah. Or a comment. This, the guy you're running against, Malarkey. Yeah. This guy's never actually had a job, has he? Never had a job. <laughs> never had a job. <laughs> I think he sold amazing. ice cream for a brief period. Uh, How could he possibly solve a problem if he's never had a No, job? no, no. Wait a minute here. If he sold ice cream, that means that that explains some of his climate change experience. Because <laughs> he, he was able to watch the ice cream melt if there, was a, right. if, there was, if there was bicycle cooler warming. He would, right. he would have that experience. This guy, Chuck, he, he went to college to become a lawyer, uh, dodged the Vietnam War, and then immediately became elected an elected official sounds like joe biden he's never yeah. <laughs> this guy has never held a <clears throat> job i mean well, we know, need, I, we need job creators the people of massachusetts that uh, there's a better deal and they better make it uh and it's to their advantage but we well, need what? people in congress who have who have made jobs who have who have written payroll checks who have solved real problems, who understand science, who understand physics, who understand business. How this guy has one year's experience that he's repeated 40 times, not right. 40 years of experience. Well, well, one of the things Chuck and Mark is that, uh, uh, you may know this uh, actor Pierce Brosnan. Pierce is, yes. uh, so uh, Pierce just funded this movie, which I'm the main scientist in, which just came out. It's on iTunes and Netflix called Poisoning Paradise. It's a great movie because it basically exposes how the big agrobiotech. Pierce Brosnan? Really? Yeah, yeah, Pierce. Pierce, Pierce is an interesting guy. He, uh, he's, you, you know, Chuck, you, you, you're out there, right? Yeah, I know. I don't, I've never met him, but I've, yeah, you know. Yeah, so Pierce and I became friends about. He's an about, awesome actor. He really is. Great, but he's a real actor. You know, he, he was a no, graphic he's designer. really good. He trained in acting. He's not a guy who just wanted to be a celebrity, right? So, he, he, you know, he did a movie. Uh, it was about shapeshifters. Years yeah. Ago, and I happened to see that. It took me 15 minutes or more to realize that was Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. He was yes. so good. It was yeah, amazing. Pierce, yeah. So Pierce and his, his wife is, uh, they, they, you know, they live on uh, partially, they, have a, uh, they live on the island of Kauai. The right. western part of Kauai during... The Vietnam War was used as a testing ground, open airfield testing ground for Agent Orange. And then it's used, and, and there's no, so basically uh, that entire area uh, has been used for all the big, you know, Monsanto, Syngenta, et cetera. So the film is essentially exposes how on the island of Kauai, what's been going, it's a beautiful island. It's called yes. Poisoning Paradise. And I had about four years ago finished some very cool research using my technology, Cytosol, to expose how genetic engineering of soy and actually 
creates formaldehyde in the soy plant. So they asked me to be in the movie. I did a test shoot. They liked it. But it's a great movie because it shows how in Kauai, it was a grassroots movement. They actually beat the state legislature, I mean, the local legislature, how the mayor overruled them, how the city council overruled the mayor. Then it went to the judges in the state and how they overruled. Eventually, they have a win that they just got. But what's powerful about the movie is it's about eliminating pesticides. It's about getting rid of safety. And what's fascinating is Bobby Kennedy, who I actually, uh, Bobby, you know, he's come out against the vaccine stuff. He's also in the movie. But uh, Bobby brings up this important point that without informed consent, that's violation of the Nuremberg Code. So I just did a tweet to, you know, the idiot AOC. Uh, uh, you know, she's... T- that's an insult to idiots all over well, the world. You know that. But, but she is essentially, because what's happening is we're not focusing on reducing pollution. That's the real problem. Correct. We're focused on reducing CO2. CO2 is not a pollutant. In fact, we need CO2. We're at the lowest levels of CO2 in the Earth's history, around 300 million. We actually need to increase CO2, but we need to lower pollution. We're and doing nothing about the, the incredible amount of chemicals that we're exposing our, our bodies to. Exactly. We're doing nothing about, we're doing, I mean, how much research is being done looking at the effects of EMF frequencies on the human body? Exactly. And, and China, meanwhile, was allowed to do another 11 billion more metric tons. So they're putting out more SO2, more lead, none of that. So, so my theory on this whole thing is these people are actually a front for Monsanto and the big ag. And I think that's how we should expose them because we need to lower pollution. We need to lower these, we need, that's where we should be putting the research because this entire you know, the thing of it is when you say lower pollution to my untrained ears and mind, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by that. Sulfur dioxide. You say, well, let me put it this way. Yep. When you say lower pollution, the first thing that comes to my mind is a smokestack. So that's where I think probably the average person looks at it and says, well, that would be my exhaust pipe or a smokestack. Yeah. That's part of it, Chuck. But well, you, let me give you an example. You take a, you take a chemical like glyphosate, I, which, which you know. You know yes, you know it because you know it under the name Roundup. Okay, Fine, now, I know now, that. Now, this is a chemical that is not just sprayed on your lawn. This is chemical that is sprayed on all your food. I understand that. I understand that. But what I'm saying to Shiva is, can you explain pollutant when you talk about pollutant? I, say, I, I, yeah, I, I, think, I think what Chuck's saying is that uh, I think that one way to say is, look, CO2 is not a pollutant. Yeah, it's, it's, it's people don't understand what pollution is, I don't think. They yeah, think of the ocean yeah. with plastic floating around, or they think of right. garbage, or they think of smokestacks. You know, you almost have to get in and say, this is what we need to clean up, this kind of stuff, and be specific. So I think you're right. I think you're right. I, I mean, I'm I, sorry I think, to say that, but I'm a simple guy. So. No, no, I think you're right. I, I think what we need to specifically say is, look, we need to lower lead levels in the atmosphere. We need to eliminate the amount of plastic. We need to lower, as, as Mark now, that said. That sounds like you're talking about the pesticide. south side of Chicago. Right, like glyphosate. <laughs> well, talking about the lead being fired at everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's a different kind of lead. Yeah, but I think you're right, Chuck. I think the more specific, uh, because ultimately, I think what is the purpose uh, of all of these policies. It's ultimately for the health of the human being, right? Mm-hmm. If, you know, you can have all the jobs. What a great distinction, though, to come against climate change with pollutant and say, you know, this is what we really need to do and this is what we're doing, and it's completely wrong. Exactly. It's mean, a great distinction. But you also, make. Chuck, you look at AOC. The world's going to end in 12 years if we don't enact the Green New Deal and get rid of all of our airplanes and automobiles. 
Meanwhile, China and India is going to be doubling the oh, amount of greenhouse gas and pollution they're dumping out. Yeah. So how does us sending ourselves back to the Stone Ages uh, save the world under their model when the rest of the world is dumping into the atmosphere? But there's a whole group of people who are about that, who want to go back in time to where there's nothing, you know, there's, there's no fossil fuels. There's you no mean no guys who, like, shave their mustache to look like the Amish? Those guys? No, no not those guys. <laughs> but, I mean, there, there are a group of people, I don't know what they're called, but uh, they do have a They're name. called Amish. Yeah, okay. Well, well, many of those people, Chuck, they live sort of hypocritical. You know, I, I of remember course they do. They all drive Amish SUVs and they all fly India. airplanes. I mean, it's I, insane. I went to these, one of these yoga ashrams in India, and, you know, the yogi there was talking all the stuff living with nature, right? Mm-hmm. And then suddenly he takes out his cell phone and he answers a call right in the middle of the right, And then gets into his Rolls Royce and leaves. Right, <laughs> right. So, so the issue is history moves forward. We progress. The issue is how can we use technology? And that's what I call real innovation. And so in my view, there's the, the aspects of truth, freedom, and health, which drive us to really have you know, courage, vision, um, to actually move society to a golden age which can come from us starting to understand that you have to allow science to really take place. The opposition to that is power, profit, and control by a few people who want to take us into the dark ages. But the, if, if we follow the, the, the substantive area that you actually have um, you know, freedom of speech uh, and where real science can prosper, then you get amazing innovations. So for example, fusion, right? We talk about fission. If we really wanted to solve this problem with the greening, we would be pounding and we, the, the concept of we have capabilities now to support fusion research. We Absolutely. And we're doing nothing with it. Yeah, we should be putting like the Manhattan Project. We should take all the scientists, throw them to the top of a mountain in New Mexico, and say you have three years to solve this fusion issue. And I'm sure we'll solve it. But that's not what the incentive is. The incentive is to promote nonsense. So we promote a thing called the carbon tax credit or the carbon equity, so we can rape everyone on the planet. And a few people can become trillionaires like Al Gore. So they don't ever want to solve the real problem, nor do they ever want to address the real problem. So they create fake solutions to fake problems. That's what's fundamentally going on. So I, is, Chuck, for your benefit, when we're talking about fusion, we're talking about a process of making energy that has no, uh, no byproduct, that has, that, that has little to no waste. Mm-hmm. At all, it's water. You take water in, and you get essentially water out. Right. So we're talking about zero pollution energy. I understand. I understand. Yeah. Me, this may be a little off topic, but I'm curious to get your take on this. Something is coming up. It seems like you hear about it all the time. It's kind of in the background, and yet everybody's curious about it. They've been curious about it since the 50s. What do you think about this whole UFO sighting things of, 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 aircraft that can move so fast and so laterally and everything in all these directions. What what do you think about that? Well, you know, there's a, there's, do you remember that uh, movie social network? um, uh, Mark's shaking his head. So one of us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But there was a, I forget the, the, the right, I forget his first name. Mesrich just wrote a book and I went to about two years ago called the 37th parallel. This guy's, you know, very esteemed writer. And he basically looks at all the UFO sightings um, and this guy's not like some conspiracy fringe guy, right? Right. And he says that all of these UFO sightings take place on the 37th parallel. And there's there's an interesting theory around really? this. Really, I didn't know yeah, that. But, but what he finds is he act. It's it's a fiction, nonfiction story, and he says that I think starting in the 70s, um, any UFO sighting 
um, was supposed to be, if you were an aircraft pilot, or you were supposed to call an 800 number. They outsourced it, Chuck. Okay? To okay. India, probably. Yeah, the, the, yeah some <laughs> India. And then that guy, and, but basically, they have these guys who come in a black helicopter, like men in black, and they investigate that thing. And he found out that, for, for example, when Roswell actually took place, that the initial report was this aircraft came, and it had hieroglyphic-like symbols on it. A few days later, the military crashed a weather balloon and they rewrote the story. Okay. But so anyway, he's telling incident after incident after incident. So I asked, uh, so someone in the audience when he was doing this book signing said, how could the government possibly ever hide this? Right. And he said, let me tell you, when the Manhattan Project was taking place, do you know that the government ensured that the word nuclear or bomb or anything was removed from every newspaper in the United States? There were 100,000 different people working all over the country on different parts of the nuclear bomb, and the government was able to control that, right? So the point is, it, it doesn't, uh, people should not be uh, surprised that the level of control that the government can do into hide information. Shiva, all somebody has to do is go visit the Greenbrier. What is that? That's a hotel in West Virginia where the Congress used to have a spot in the bottom uh, it's it's a it's a golf club and a you know, beautiful hotel and all this kind of stuff, but it was where Congress would gather to protect themselves in case of a nuclear war. It was exposed about what fifteen years ago and right. But prior to that, the government managed to build a massive underground it is complex massive. underneath a golf resort, as Chuck said, mm. and they were able to hide it from the public, including. They were able to hide it from the public when they were there pouring thousands of yards of concrete into it. They managed yes. to keep it hidden. Right. So, so that's the point to measure. Just point people can hide stuff. Look, the whole thing with, I think, my opinion is, you know, we're finding more and more and more planets. It, I think it's insane to think that there is not other life. And now relative to the UFOs, Chuck, they could be our own machinery, Right. Everybody keeps saying created. it could be us or it could be the Russians or it could be, you know. Yeah, it could, it could be. I mean, th there is probably. But there's never any physical evidence of these things. Right. It's always sightings. I find that very odd that never, ever is there physical evidence. Well, you've never met Bigfoot yet either. <laughs> well, well, yeah. So it could I'm be serious. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there was a professor at Harvard many, many years ago. I forget his last name. This was. He wrote a very famous, um, he, went and, he went and reviewed all the uh, UFO abductees. It was right. on the front page of the Boston Globe magazine. He, he, famous clinical psychologist. And I think he interviewed like close to 500,000 people. And mm -hmm. he asked them, you know, a series of questions to determine were they hallucinating? Were they, you know, crazy? There's apparently certain. And he, he said nearly all of them, 95%, had had a profound experience. And he said that something doesn't make sense, that we could be on the, on the front of the Copernican Revolution. Um, shortly after he did that, he suddenly was found mysteriously dead. And this was a professor at Harvard. So I brought this up to Mesrich. What I'm trying to say is I think it could be two things or both could be occurring, Chuck. One is- yeah, I, think people, I think people in there, I, I, I'm just guessing at this, but I really believe people want to believe that these things are real and they're from outer space. Well, and Chuck, you had a co-host who was taken up in 
to a <laughs> stop UFO. That. You did. I don't, want, I don't want to talk about my co-host on Lingo, please. But she did. She said her oh, no, and her mom she... were taken up, and they did dental work on her mom free. She, Are you serious? <laughs> she literally used to order more food at the commissary than we were supposed to have because she'd take it home to feed them. Honest to God. I, I think, Chuck, the answer is you should make all of this should become transparent and we should all have the chance to to go forward. I, I think well, there's a reason why it's not transparent. There's a there's a there's a fundamental reason that the government doesn't want to know or reveal what they know. And I'm not sure what that is, whether they're using it to their advantage for some other Mm -hmm. deal but it's they timing. don't want us to know they will I, i'm going to tell you where chuck's going with this shiva yeah one of the things that we've talked about on this show is that the way that government the tool that government uses to get individuals to release or, or relinquish their sovereignty is war so during wars americans give up their freedom they give up their sovereignty and we saw it in World War One and World War Two during yeah. the Cold War. We saw it recently with the Patriot Act because we're willing to give this up. The Green New Deal, my whole thing is the Green New Deal is nothing more than a World War Three that the Democrats are creating in an effort to get more sovereignty given up and more power handed over to government. Mm -hmm. Where we're talking about the UFOs is if they can't sell the Green New Deal story to get people to give up their sovereignty, what better way to get people to give up their sovereignty than to say, oh, there's little green men from space. There's an enemy out there that no one knows about except us. And, and think of one of the Democrats' favorite words, existential threat. Mm -hmm. There's now this extraterrestrial existential threat, and now we need to be – now think about the argument for globalism Hey, hang on just a minute. With let, me, UFO. let me insert something here and interrupt you just a second. If you look at this in the context of media, look what Hollywood has been doing forever and ever and what they're well, doing now. Yeah, they just live I in mean, a world of dystopia. They have been at, Hollywood has been out in space for, what, 50 years? Talking about other societies, other things. In other words, it becomes more and more, the fantasy becomes more and more real every day until we've now approached a place where people are willing to accept maybe there are. Now, I don't know whether there are. Or right, not, but, but no one does. Back to what I'm saying is think about how, how quickly or what better tool could you use to drive the concept of globalism. Yeah, definitely. Than a, than a threat from outer space. Shivo, tell us about the campaign now. Where are you at? What's going on with the campaign? We were the first ones to announce. So what we're doing is we're basically – uh, you know, we have to do all the mechanics, right? Which is get on the ground, uh, get our volunteers. Um, so our campaign is really going to be a focus on getting on the ground, uh, Chuck and Mark, doing it the good old fashioned way. What did you way. learn from the last campaign you ran? Well, uh, what we learned was, A, um, <laughs> that uh, a small group of people with a good message can have a massive impact. I mean, we had people, <clears throat> Chuck, on the ground putting up signs everywhere. We had probably a thousand real Indian, fake Indian signs everywhere. That's where Warren, you know, with all due respect to the president who did a job on hitting her with Pocahontas, mm -hmm. it was our effort that forced her to take that DNA test because you couldn't drive around Massachusetts without seeing her in a headdress and it, she was getting hit hard. So I felt we did a great job in damaging her. You know, we made her damage goods in a lot of ways. But she uh, seems but, to have shook it off though, doesn't she? Yeah, well, the yeah, Democrat yeah, Party could shake anything off. Right, but that's because she has full support from the media, right? Thank you. Yes, 80, 90% exactly. of the media totally supports 
are shaking it off. They would never let anyone else get that shaken. You know, if this, you know, Trump would, they'd be hitting him every day. So, but what we did learn was that it's the conversations we have with people, Chuck and Mark, and we can't trust the media because um, Facebook and Google, you know, they can, they can take, take you out. So our view is that you have to go on the ground and it's a ground campaign. That's what we're forcing on and getting our messaging clear. Well, that's so, a grind, isn't it? It's a grind, but you know what? Most campaigns are won on the ground. Yeah. And our view is people don't want to do that hard work. So part of Chuck and Mark, what we want to do is if we're going to walk the walk, we're going to do the, the work, right? Because if we're saying the American dream is about people work, people get on the ground, we, we definitely will take any media you know, that supports us. But it doesn't mean that that media opportunity for someone like us who's coming so anti-establishment, they are always going to twist it. So the ultimately, the only way is to have one-on-one -on -one conversations. We flip people so quickly. I was in a, in a bar during the middle of the campaign, and this woman says, I hate your sign. You, you know, you're a racist, fake Indian, really. And I go, what are you talking about? I said, do you know what I've undergone? Do you know the racism, the real racism I've undergone by these same white liberals? She goes, I had no idea. We flipped her. When we get on the ground, Chuck, with our volunteers and Mark, that's where we win because the media says, wait a minute, this guy's a reasonable guy. His volunteers are reasonable, hardworking people. So I've come to the conclusion that the new media is offline, that you have to go direct. It's a single piece of paper. It's meeting people face to face. Back, because, to, the old, back to the old ways. I'm of telling you, it's, it's, yeah. So, you know, if, if we, if we get on, you know, uh, I mean, last time we were on Laura Ingram's show and Stuart Varney's, that's great. Right. But I'm saying ultimately you have to go on the ground. Because when people see the sincerity, what we stand for, it's going to be important. One of the things we're going to do, Mark, uh, you may like this, uh, and also you, Chuck, is, you know, when I created a program that in literally an hour, Mark and Chuck, I can teach people how the system works and how their body is a system, all right? And we're going to give that program away to people that I created to people, and then we're going to teach them how they can actually affect their own health by these different things. So our view is if we can make that simple, our campaign, as we campaign with the bus, we're actually gonna educate people how, the, how their body works as a system, the same principles that everything works, and then teach them also principles on how they could understand their body. And that's why the focus of the campaign is gonna be truth, freedom, and health. So our view is if we can meet one-to-one -one people and say, hey, this guy's an activist, he's a scientist, he's a technologist, he actually helped me right now it wasn't just campaign promises. Um, I think it's going to be a, a real grassroots campaign. Well, I've we wish you the best of luck, Shiva. We, you're, our, you. you're one of our heroes. You really are. And I, we Thank really you. want you to, to be successful. It'll be better for Massachusetts. It'll be better for the country, which means it'll be better for us. Shiva, you are a great example of, I'm going to say, Occam's razor. <laughs> that the, the simple answer is probably the right one. Always the right exactly. answer. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate everything you guys do. You know, you guys are speaking the truth. You're, you're creating uh, the kinds of the conversation we need. And that's what this country needs. We need more of that and to push people to have well, that. We're trying to create an environment where people like you can come on, express yep. their views, let people know what you're talking about and, and uh, share it with our audience. So we really hey, appreciate Chuck, you. Chuck, and, Chuck and Mark, one of the things you can offer is say, mm -hmm. I will debate anyone on the, on the climate change issue. Anyway. Oh, I'll bet. <laughs> so, you know, offer that. Let's have an open debate on climate change. Sure. So we will, so let's do that right now. We're going, we're going to say right now that, because we know that we have people on the left who listen to us because they send us terrible mail. 
so, so anyone, anybody who has someone who wants to make the argument and has credentials to back it up, we don't want some lunatic, but somebody who has the credentials that wants to argue the, we'll call it the pro side of climate change, we will, we will offer this forum. Chuck, you and I can just be moderators to Absolutely. control the timing. And Shiva can come on with whoever that person is, and we will we will keep it fair and balanced. We really will. And we just, the episode before this, we actually had a guy who was a liberal on, and we had a very fair and good conversation with him. Yeah, he thought Excellent. we were going to shoot him, and we didn't. <laughs> yeah, we surprised him. But we would absolutely do that. So the last thing I want to do, folks, is tell you that uh, go to bloodforcetruth.com, look for the episode with Shiva Ayadora. Right there, you'll find links to... Shiva's website. If you want to donate money, if you're in the area and you want to be, you know, part of his team and get on the ground, you can apply right there. We'll also have links to his social media right there. Shiva, if there is anything that we can do, I'm going to tell you, you completely have my endorsement. I'm and mine as well. Too. Yes. Yeah, I, I think one of the things you guys can do is, as this campaign proceeds, I'd like to come back on and take like an issue: climate change, immigration, guns, and take it from a very systematic scientific point and say, here's the real problem. You are here's, welcome here anytime. Yeah, here's a real solution. I think that'll help educate people. And ultimately, I think if we educate people, people will do the right thing. Absolutely but, true. So, we need you in the Senate. We need you in the Senate. Folks, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like everything you heard today, remember to uh, go to iTunes or to the uh, Podcast One app and do a couple things for us. One, Give us five-star review. The second thing is, if you're not subscribing to the show, hit the subscribe button, get the show automatically. The last thing I'm going to just bug you to do is to take this episode, this episode where you just heard the truth about science, where you just heard the truth about what's going on in Washington and about climate change, take a link to this show, whether it's from our site or from wherever you get your podcast. Send a link to this show to someone you know who thinks that climate change is real. And just ask them, will you, will you spend an hour and listen to this with an open mind? Send this to them. Thanks, everybody, thank for you, listening. Thanks, thank you, Shiva, for being on the show. We look forward to having you back. And we'll uh, see you next time Great, on Blunt Force Truth. Bye-bye.